Welcome to the Imaginal Inspirations podcast with me, David Lorimer, where I talk to my guests about experiences, people and books that have shaped their lives and work. Imaginal cells are responsible for the metamorphosis of the caterpillar into a butterfly, which is also the Greek symbol for the soul. These cells are dormant in the caterpillar, but at a crucial point of development, they create the new form and structure, which becomes the butterfly. And we need that kind of process in our world today. There's a lot of caterpillars around that need to become butterflies. My guest today is Dr. Mona Subani, who is a cognitive neuroscientist, author and entrepreneur. She's a former research scientist at the University of Southern California and holds a doctorate in neuroscience from that university and then completed a postdoctoral fellowship at Vanderbilt University with the MacArthur Foundation Law and Neuroscience Project. She's the author of a very good book called Proof of Spiritual Phenomena, subtitled A Neuroscientist's Discovery of the Ineffable Mysteries of the Universe. And this details her transformation from a diehard scientific materialist to an open-minded spiritual seeker. In the brave new world of psychedelic science substack, this is her substack, she writes about the psychedelic renaissance, altered states of consciousness, and the transpersonal. She's a co-founder of Exploring Consciousness, a community of curious scientists who are seeking to understand consciousness, spirituality, and the nature of reality. And her website is monasabaniphd.com, and we'll put that in the show notes. So, Mona, you've had a number of transformative experiences in your life, um, as you say, from becoming um, an open-minded spiritual seeker. Um, but do you have a particular shaping moment involving your choice of work and, and maybe also your transformation? Sure, yeah. For me, there were quite a number of moments. But let's see, if I had to choose one, I would say, and this is going to be, it's kind of fun. This is it. It's a fun experience that we had. So I was a you know, normally trained neuroscientist before this, skeptical, same as everyone else, mainstream Western worldview, didn't believe in anything. And it started with my mother. So I'm I have Persian heritage. My parents are from Iran. And in our culture is actually very mystical. If you go back, you know, to the ancient roots, looking at Sufism, Zoroastrianism, we're indigenously Zoroastrians. So there's a lot of mysticism in our culture. And my it's been passed down through our family. So my mother, as well as my grandmother, they would do divination, which is, you know, using some sort of medium. In our case, it was Middle Eastern coffee, which is different than American coffee, but this like thicker, um, sludgier coffee that you leave in the cup, it creates pictures and somebody who's intuitive can kind of get information from it about your life, past, present and future. So my, my mother and my grandmother are very good at reading and my mom started for fun just reading for me and I didn't believe in it, but she would just do it, you know, absentmindedly when I was home visiting um, and then over the years, I started realizing that a lot of what she said would come true. And I had no way of understanding this with my scientific framework, obviously. So I ignored it for many years until there were a series of big emotional life events that happened uh, kind of back to back in a few years. And the coffee was involved. Like my mom would foresee some of it. One of them was the death of someone I knew. And I think because these were really big emotional events, it caught my attention that she was able to accurately predict these things. 
And then it confused me, right? Because I had no framework for understanding this or explaining it with science. And by that point, I had finished my graduate training and science was really my religion. It just had become kind of this, you know, it's very revered in Western culture. And especially for me going through that training, I felt that way. And so I had no framework for understanding. So it spun me into confusion and launched me on this journey to understand because it it became a point where I had to reconcile these two important things in my life. um, And I couldn't just let it be anymore. No, that's very interesting. And I remember reading about that in your book. Uh, So that's a sort of shaping moment in your transformation. And why did you become a neuroscientist in the first place? Oh, yes. I was always interested in why people behave the way that they do. And particularly, I was really interested, you know, how you interact differently with different people (laughs) or like with some people, you're really, it's comfortable to be jokey. And with others, you feel for some reason, like you don't want to speak a lot. I always thought that was really interesting. And I wondered about, well, what is it about our beings or really our brains at that point that makes it this way? Like, what are, what is this relational aspect? How does that play out in our biology? So that's what I was interested in. And I think it took um, an AP psychology class in high school and we had a chapter on the brain and it was my favorite chapter. I was obsessed with neuroanatomy. I became obsessed with that chapter. And that was kind of the launch off point, which is funny because actually before that, I wasn't really interested in science. I was interested in literature and writing, but that, and I actually, science was my worst subject because at least in America, when they teach it to you, it's like geology and like all these (laughs) random sciences that you're not necessarily interested in. So I never thought I was interested in science but when I was introduced to neuroscience, I thought, oh, this is interesting. So that's I decided to pursue it. And I'm glad I did. I loved it. Yes, it's all, all obviously been a very important part of your journey and still is. And uh, what about influential mentors or teachers along the way? Is there anybody who stands out? Yes, actually, one of my advisors. So I had two advisors, two co-advisors. One was Lisa Zizadeh. Um, she studied mirror neurons, a traditional cognitive neuroscientist. And the other one was Laura Baker. She's a behavioral geneticist, um, psychologist, and neuroscientist. And so uh, Laura, actually, she really helped me. She was much more senior, so she really helped me train me to be a good scientist. Um, but then, coincidentally, uh, years later, so as I was going through this transformation, years before mine, she had actually started having her own. So she had this, I don't want to tell her story for her, but she had this knee injury, started going to Iyengar yoga. And before that, she was, again, total mainstream skeptical scientist. But through that injury and through Iyengar yoga, she started opening up to other ways of thinking, other ways of being, other cultures, other thought systems, philosophy systems. And she got really into it. I mean, she went to, she got certified as a yoga teacher, went to India, learned Sanskrit, and then when I started going through my, you know, at the very beginning of my transformation, where I was uncomfortable with myself for exploring these topics, I turned to her because I I kind of knew about her interest. And she really helped me in a conversation during the pandemic. You know, she was like, I, I think it's interesting, you know, of course, psychologist, she's like, I think it's interesting that you find it so difficult to accept <laughs> that some people are spiritual and that that's okay, or that there are some mysteries to the universe that we don't have answers to. 
And in that conversation, she just said a lot of things like that, that really, you know, she was kind of like, mysteries are okay. You know, they make the world and it's what keeps us going in pursuit of knowledge. So she's like, it's a beautiful thing. It's not something to um, avoid or um, deride. And so she really helped me to become a normal neuroscientist. But then years later, she was also really instrumental in helping me understand and accept uh, this kind of foray into spirituality and the, the transformation that ensued. That's so interesting. And it makes one think that absolute necessity for these kind of mentors, you know, who've been through mm-hmm. this themselves and who can guide younger people who are taking their first steps, as it were. Uh, no, absolutely. let's let's go on to um books that have shaped your life and thinking i used to, i used to ask people about a book and then that became impossible because with <laughs> with people who i interview there's lots of books but uh, w- which books stand out on your journey yeah there's oh, i can't remember the word for this um diana pasuko talks about this there's like a the transformational book for everyone so for me it was Many Lives, Many Masters by Brian Weiss. He was a psychiatrist who stumbled across past life regression um, in one of his patients and then pursued it. And he was, I think it it was the first book that I read into this in spirituality plus science world. And it really resonated with me because he started off as an atheist. He, um, I think he was Jewish, but he was an atheist and he didn't believe in anything paranormal. And then he had this experience and he stayed open to it, right? He was like, well, this, you know, past life regression seems to be healing my patient. And that is what is most important in my profession. So let me stay open and curious and let's just pursue this and see what happens. Um, And then after he found that it worked for her, he went to the library, my favorite place in the world and did research. And then, so his book really helped open my mind. Um, it was the most difficult, right? Cause it was the first. And so I remember thinking, can I believe this? Um, this is crazy. Uh, and I bought the book and sent it to all, a lot of people I know because I wanted them to read it and tell me their thoughts. So that was the jumping off point, but that book is very thin. It's like one story. Um, so it's not like a comprehensive, um, you know, digging into all of these topics, but it, for me, it was a flipping point. And then from there, I, I just found, you know, through the Scientific and Medical Network too, it's so many amazing scientists and authors looking at looking at all of this stuff. But I would say that book was kind of the tipping point. It was the it was the book that flipped me ultimately. Yes, that's the nice phrase, isn't it? The, the flip, the Jeff yeah. Kripal's flip. Yes. No, I, I know those books. I think he wrote three, Brian Weiss. I, I have them in my library in Scotland. Uh, so yeah. that thank you very much for that. Actually, um, well, I, sorry, the, the reason I used the flip is because one of the other books that super like finally I think helped me emotionally was Jeff Kripal's The Flip. Yes, no, it's and the, his more recent book, The Superhumanities, which is superb. Mm-hmm. And then, can you identify any sort of key moments of insight in your work in relation to the nature of consciousness or, or your journey? Uh, well. <clears throat> I think what's been interesting for me as a neuroscientist too on this journey has been watching the way that I think and the way that I engage with the world change. And that has honestly been the most interesting thing because when I finished my graduate training, my brain started to process things very in a reductionist way, a very statistical way, a very categorical way, because that's how we do science. And I literally started 
thinking and seeing and perceiving everything like that. And it was honestly very tiring. Even, yeah, and I realized that I would start analyzing things and being like, oh, how would you uh, do this in a study? And it was very tiring, um, but useful, I guess, for the time. And then after I started really getting into spirituality and consciousness research and, and meditating seriously and doing breath work and all these other altered states of consciousness. And then not only those, I think also reading into some of the esoteric and spiritual literature about symbolism, I started to, I mean, I didn't do it on purpose. It just started happening. The way I was thinking about things started to change where I started taking a more holistic view and focusing on the qualities of things or like the whole essence of something as opposed to the reductionist parts. And that actually gave me like an interesting new way of relating with consciousness and just with being. And so that has honestly been the most profound and interesting thing to me to watch how you could change the way you think and then how that changes the way that you behave and interact with the world and with others. And it's been beneficial, I think, because you stop, you start realizing these boundaries that we create are artificial, these concepts and constructs don't necessarily exist outside of our minds. And so I think that that has been just one of the most interesting um, things on this journey for me. Yes, that's very interesting. And and it would be worth elaborating a bit more if you had a maybe thought of writing a paper on that because that just the just the way the transformation of thinking it could help other scientists and i'm I'm reminded in this context i don't know if you know this that later in his life darwin said that he used to enjoy music and poetry when he was younger but his mind had just become a machine for grinding out facts and so he found his thinking being transformed actually in a sort of negative way, um, mm-hmm. if you like, whereas what you described is is a widening and, and uh, a more holistic view, um, which which I think is is definitely the must be the way to think because it contains the previous way of thinking, but it widens and deepens it. Yes, yes, and I noticed that the other way when I went into graduate school. So I used to love fiction. I just love reading, and. I used to walk around campus. I always, I mean, everyone made fun of me. I'd walk around campus. I always had my head in a book. I wouldn't see, watch where I'm going and run into things all the time. But, and it was mostly fiction. And then by the end of graduate school, I changed, you know, and I was like, I don't have time for fiction. I should read serious books. I should listen to serious podcasts. And it was interesting how I didn't really enjoy that, but I did it <laughs> anyway. And so, yeah, it was that negative transformation. And that's what I say, like, it's hard to, t- you can't tell people what they should or shouldn't do because everyone enjoys something different. So for me, I enjoyed that. And then I abandoned it because I thought I should do something or thought I should be smart or listen to smart things. Um, but I didn't realize how unhappy that was making me. And so this this journey also brought me back to that part of myself and like, no, I like fiction. I like stepping into other worlds, taking other perspectives. Um, you know, everything doesn't have to be serious all the time. No, quite. And how does your understanding of consciousness influence the way you live your life? Because obviously you've been through these kind of transformations. Yeah, it's it's honestly been an evolution of the way I think and and it's not on purpose again. It's not something that I tried to do on purpose. It just started happening. So 
I would say the first thing is when I started reading the evidence uh, for non-local reality, right? So for psi phenomena and things like that, I started thinking, wow, we really are interconnected with everyone and everything around us. And suddenly I became really aware of how at the time, you know, I was going through this crisis. So I was kind of spewing negative emotion (laughs) and I, and I kind of thought, oh my gosh, it really is our responsibility to take care of ourselves and get ourselves healed or to a place where we're not spewing negativity because it's not just about us, but it's about, and not even in terms of molecular quantum connections, but you take that out into the world with you, right? When you interact with people, when you're not happy and you're angry, like it affects again, back to that relational thing, it affects how people relate to you and respond to you. And so I became very, very aware of that and started taking that seriously um, and started it flipped the way I think about just me being alone in this world, just taking care of myself and improving myself affect everyone and everything around me. So I started, I started incorporating that perspective into my life. I think also levels of consciousness has been interesting, or actually it's been an area of conflict. So it's kind of like, as you expand, you start to see just naturally the deeper issues and roots of things and that was, it's kind of re- goes back to, you know, like in science, we put focus on parts. And I think it, it goes back to that of like stepping back and looking at the whole, you start to see the whole picture instead of just the symptoms of the problem. But sometimes when people around you aren't at that level, it can, again, be hard to relate. And I feel like that's something I'm still working through of if you just are spewing all the time, like we're all one, it's all interconnected. And someone's not at that level, they tend to react pretty negatively to that. (laughs) So I've been working through how to practically incorporate that into my life in a way that doesn't cause more conflict with the people, you know, that are around me. Yes. And I I think there are many levels you can engage this with. The moment I'm reading a very interesting book on trees, which has the same interconnectedness message. And some people would find that level of interconnectedness or non-local entanglement easier to accept than kind of entanglement of consciousness and then how's your how's your book been received have you had a good response to that yeah it's been great i've had a lot of scientists reach out to me excited to share their experiences or have someone to talk to it's like they've been holding these experiences just to themselves their entire lives so they've been they're excited to talk about it with someone and i've actually had a lot of people in general reach out, I guess, excited to have a scientist. You know, I guess people, that's something I picked up on. I think a lot of people feel frustrated with scientists and science or there's this sense that we're closed-minded or skeptical or don't believe anything and dismissive. And so I think they're excited about that there's somebody (laughs) willing to listen or come out. So that's been, I mean, and I had that perception too. And understandably, because that's really how I was and where I was coming from originally. But I think I've been surprised by the diversity of of people who've reached out. I mean, it's normal people, it's scientists, it's people who work with AI, like computer scientists, uh, physicists, um, just amazing. It's been really awesome. Yes, I think it's a it is a process that's happening, and of course, the Galileo Commission and our book Spiritual Awakenings is is part of that process. And then, tell us a little bit about your art, because I think what the paint you've got some paintings behind you, um, which are yours. 
Yeah. Do, do, you, I, uh, do you, are you painting all the time or just some of the time or uh, all the time? Actually, on the other end of this table is all my um my my whole setup. I which is interesting. Yeah, I never. Well, I did paint before, but not a lot. And oh, this was this is this is a fun one too. This actually goes back to the breaking down the boundaries. Like it's interesting how the, as you change, like everything changes. So I used to take canvases and like with a ruler, draw lines or um, print something and trace it onto the canvas and paint in the line. So everything was very organized and easy. There, it was still creative, but it wasn't free. And then when I started going through transformations, specifically when I, after I took psychedelics, um, I sat down in front of the canvas one day and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to paint. <laughs> and I just, I was like, no plan. I'm not going to get my ruler. I'm not going to make an outline. I'm just going to paint. And then that felt so much better. I mean, they're not always pretty, but it was, it's just freeing. And then that's when I realized, I was like, wow, this is like an emotional expression, actually. Like, it's actually one way that I can come to art to express something that I'm feeling, which I don't think I looked at art in that way. I understood that people did that, but I didn't use art in that way before. I just used it to create art that I could hang. And then suddenly I just had this thing click of like, oh, I can just whatever, you know, express. And then also when I started getting to literature, psychology literature and understanding the subconscious, I thought, what an interesting way to tap into my subconscious and just see what comes out. So I started using it in that way. And it's just been like, I'm vibrating with happiness right now talking about it with you because it's just been fantastic. Yeah, like an amazing thing. No, well, it's very, all very colorful. I can see that. Uh, and then ju just coming towards the end, um, do you have a favorite proverb or quote that you'd like to share with our listeners? I have a really simple one that I've actually had since before this transformation even, and it's just breathe. <laughs> just breathe. <laughs> That's a good just one. Just breathe. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's actually silly. It's from what's the, the movie's called ever after it's a Cinderella story with Drew Barrymore. So, you know, I saw this when I was really young and for some reason there's like a moment in the film where she's about to do something really big and she just, Oh, everything freezes and she takes a deep breath and she just says, just breathe. Oh, and that has stuck with me my whole life. <laughs> so, Very I mean, good advice. Very yeah, good advice. Just, just take a pause, take a pause. And then is there any advice you'd give your younger self from where you are at the moment? Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. When I think back on my younger self, it's a lot of grasping for control and I understand why and all that now, but yeah, it would just be like, actually be embody that just quote breathe. more. <laughs> yeah. Just breathe and relax a little bit. Yeah. And I really think just not everything is so serious. I think, and I think it's, sometimes it's hard when you're young to, and you want to prove yourself and, you know, have accomplishments, but to have fun, to have more fun along the way. Oh, well, that also good advice. I certainly agree with that. Mona, thank you so much for sharing your insights on imaginal inspirations. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate all the work you guys do. 